people that are getting started, what I've seen in terms of successful projects is they either take an original idea that's uh, a bit too complex to handle on their own or with the, the scale team they have, and they transform it into something that's manageable. Being able to, to steer what you're putting together is a, a big difference of people that get the, uh, the initial analysis paralysis uh, or people that actually hit the ground running. Welcome to episode 117 of the Subscription Entrepreneur Podcast. Our guest on today's show is veteran web developer Ryan Murray of 3200 Creative. Ryan's career as a world-class developer spans over 20 years, and during that time, he's worked with Fortune 500 companies, solopreneurs, and everyone in between. Now, Ryan has special expertise in building powerful and profitable WordPress sites for online business owners, and we're lucky to have him on the show today. You see, Ryan rarely appears on podcasts because he's usually too busy helping his clients achieve incredible results online, like obtaining the highly coveted top search rankings in Google for incredibly competitive search terms. We've seen the results of Ryan's work and can confirm that he knows his stuff. Ryan joins us on the podcast today and shares his best practices for building an online business in 2019. He goes far beyond the regular tips and tricks you may be used to seeing and dives deep into a topic that is rarely talked about, which is how to create an online business that you can, and more importantly, want to run. He shares specific strategies for how entrepreneurs can build a profitable online business without creating another job for themselves. In this episode, we also look at important topics like how to pick a WordPress web host, SEO best practices and overlook strategies, website design, and more. We hope you enjoy and benefit from Ryan's valuable advice. I'm your host, Eric Turnison, and this is episode 117 of the Subscription Entrepreneur Podcast. Hey, Ryan, welcome to the show. Well, hello. How are you? I'm doing great. So thanks so much for joining us. I really appreciate it. You and I have actually been talking pretty regularly for the past um, couple weeks or so uh, as you're helping me and Member Mouse out with an SEO project. So we've gotten a little bit of time to spend talking to each other and that's been great. And so as a result of that, having you on the show, wanting to share some of your knowledge and experience with our audience. So just to get started, can we talk a little bit about your background? Yeah. Uh, so I started early off in, in Photoshop. Uh, just to like date myself, probably like version two of Photoshop. And that quickly led into web development. I designed a book cover for a gentleman. And he said, you know, I've got between 700 and a thousand bucks to have a website built. Do you know anybody that you can get me in touch with? And I said, yes, me. And uh, I, I took the $700 directly to Barnes and Noble. And I bought about $300 in, in web development books and just kind of trial by fired it. Uh, so that was my, my introduction. You know, fast forward a few years later, uh, went through the the whole college process of, of getting a, a formal education in web development, uh, which led into being a, an instructor in video game development in my early 20s. And then in college, I guess a, a really important factor is I, I met my wife and uh, we started off as partners in college, just on projects and whatnot. And that led into uh, working on business stuff together. So we've been working together for 14 years. Now that's, I want to jump back to your the initial thing. You, you said when that guy first contacted you, I mean, that's a really interesting start where you were basically willing to bet 700 bucks on yourself without having any knowledge. What was it about that situation where you just knew that you could do it? Well, I figured I could give him his money back, simply <laughs> okay. put. Yeah. You know, like, and, and, and the incentive at that age was if I don't give him his money back, my rent is paid. So, you know, I thought, well, you know, this could be a, a, a really good opportunity for me. But, and I, I was very upfront about it, you know, that I hadn't built one yet, but I could give it a go. And I also cut my price down to next to nothing. 
to basically pay for the education to learn how to do so. And the person was okay that I did both on their dime, you know, so they basically helped educate me. I'll do that today, occasionally with projects that are uh, cutting edge enough to where I haven't put it together yet. I'll offer a reduced rate because I just haven't done it before. Yeah, I had a similar experience in college too, like starting doing contract work, which really I feel was a big part of my major success after college. There's so much to be said for that practical experience. You can't really replace it with school learning. No, no, there are two different walks of life. You know, one is street smarts and the other is, is book smarts. I mean, people coming up to you and, and needing to accomplish a goal on their end takes a, a lot of iterations of being successful in that to really kind of figure out how to do it well. Right. And I think that that spirit that you showed early on of just, um, you know, being able to dive in and do something and the the excitement of working on a project, maybe being in the deep end and seeing if you could swim yourself out. I feel like that is a really important factor. If you learn all the tools, but you don't have that underlying interest and enthusiasm to really dive in and do something, you can't really apply it. Well, and also asking for instruction too. You know, I think uh, in this day and age with how quick technology is changing, uh, that's a very powerful attribute to have. So over the course of your career, you've worked with Fortune 500 companies, you've worked with solopreneurs, and everyone in between, you've, you've worked with MemberMouse, you've worked with a lot of our customers. So from all of your experience, are there some an advice you could give to people listening about building an online business? People that are getting started, what I've seen in terms of successful projects is they either take an original idea that's a, a bit too complex to handle on their own or with the, the scale team they have, and they transform it into something that's manageable. Being able to, to steer what you're putting together is a, a big difference of people that get the, uh, the initial analysis paralysis uh, or people that actually hit the ground running. Now, something I think that you have, you're in a position to have a really unique perspective on is you're both steeped in the technology and you also see different business models that people have put together. So do you see any patterns in terms of what works and what doesn't? All right. So people have like their own lanes in terms of how they think, right? Like if you're a developer, you develop. If you're a marketer, you market. If you're an artist or a designer, you design, Right. Uh, and then you take like the the current day entrepreneur, someone that's wanting to do something on their own by themselves. Like these people aren't trying to like get out of their office job into another office job that they're also a part of too. They want to do it themselves, right? So the marketer goes off on his own, the designer, et cetera. You'll find that the developer will develop perpetually. And then when the developing's finally done, there's like this giant drag on the marketing because they're not a marketer and there's no one to do the marketing uh, and so on and so forth. The marketer with the developing doesn't really uh, come through to fruition as much. So as a, a solo entrepreneur, you need to bite off these little tiny pieces of each piece of this puzzle so that you can put it all together in unison. I think that's a, uh, a common denominator for individual success. And I think that's one of the, the attributes that Kathy and I had early on is, you know, as a, a developer that were freelance, uh, like it was up to us to find work, you know, and actually like market our services for people to find us. We have to do the marketing. We have to do the design. We have to do the development, basically consulting ourselves as far as assessing if we're, we're doing it the right way and, and staying uh, fashionable in an industry that changes. 
And what are some of those strategies over the years that you've learned on how you operate on a day-to-day basis? Well, set a goal for what you want to take on, making sure to take on as much work as we needed and then get that work done. There's a lot of opportunities that we passed on and a lot of times where we just said, you know what, we've got our plates are full. Let's let's clear this stuff off and then then let's do more. I would say that that's a, a really big part of it. Uh, also, you know, having a, a method where you can rinse and repeat in a way that's you know, still interesting to you, but at the same time is uh, like practical to come back on. You know, you can't start everything off 100% unique. So like each iteration of what you give to somebody, it shouldn't be the first time you've done it. You know, like you should, you should already have a, a product basically that you can offer them. And uh, I think that's a, a really important part of it, you know, and then also, you know, where, just where do you want to be? in terms of, of work, you know, you hear people talk about verticals and whatnot. Um, you find out very quickly that if you build websites in the food industry, like we've got a ton of like food bloggers that we work for. And it's just because we happen to take on projects for some like really well-known food blogger. And, and you just, that causes a whole channel of food blogging. So, uh, so take on jobs that, that you could see doing a dozen of, like I personally don't work in the, uh, the pharmaceutical space and I'm temperamental about like universities and whatnot. I have a couple of universities that I work for, but um, just the, the business process of it is is mildly difficult. Right. So basically becoming to have a familiarity with the types of clients you want to work with, what you can see doing multiples of. Yeah. And it, I mean, that's the way it tends to or, organically grow. And uh, and that's an important thing to, to really keep in mind. And then, you know, most importantly, though, is, you know, offer something of value yeah, makes a lot of sense. And and I think that approach is probably why these days you don't look need to look for business. Like you didn't take off bite off more than you can chew and you made sure that you delivered on what you promised. I've always been a, a really big advocate in personally educating yourself as to like why you're using what you're using. Like I, I started early on picking a, a theme every single time I, I built a, a WordPress website and I'd just pick it aesthetically. If it was a yoga website, I'd find a yoga theme and so on and so forth. But I just through clients basically demanding it, you know, I started using the Genesis framework on a regular basis. And that made a gigantic difference just in terms of uh, continuity of the builds and, and how they work. And then with WordPress, you know, if you're just getting started with WordPress or you're building a company based on WordPress or you have a service business and you're, you're using WordPress, you know, having managed hosting is a, a really big deal. Like using one of those economic hosting scenarios, it's less than $5 a month. It's not more affordable in the long run, in my opinion, because the problems have a way of catching up. Whereas with managed hosting, what I found is it has allowed me to not have to hire techs to do a lot of more of the remedial work. You know, like I personally uh, work daily with WP Engine. All of the sites that I, I maintain are on it. And, uh, I would say at least 90% of my client base is on WP Engine as well. And that expands my my offering by like 70 people. Turns what I do into like a 24-hour service where people can call into somebody at any time or or talk to someone about like the generals of WordPress. Uh, and that saves me a, a ton in terms of the amount of communication I have to do. Yeah, and I think another important factor for tool choice, theme, hosting provider any sort of third-party uh, functionality required like affiliate management, membership management, et cetera, is longevity. You want to make sure that when you set your client up with something that 
there are teams available to support and maintain that software that you've chosen going forward. Because the last thing you want is to put, put it something on a build with a client and then have to swap it out later because something changed and that it's no longer being updated or, or something like that. Or a hundred clients, you know, like once you, you know, right. once you start getting, you know, into <laughs> yeah. the, the hundreds, you know, having to change out a framework, you know, that can be, that can take up a good amount of time. Uh, so yeah, the, um, the shelf life in a, in a world of, of constantly evolving offerings, quite the, the added value. You know, if you can build a website in 2012, that's still at the top of Google in 2018, you know, that's something special if nothing's been done to it. Now, that's an interesting point for, for people who make a living being developers. Technologies change so frequently. New technologies come onto the market. How do you maintain that balance of not having to constantly try and chase everything that comes out, but making sure at the same time that you're relevant with your skills? Well, agency standards really help with that, uh, you know, and also, you know, use what you need. I mean, I personally use the most powerful option I can find that's done the best for me in the past. And then like the second part of what I do as a, a developer, designer and consultant is kind of follow the bouncing ball of, of the industry, you know, using, um, you know, different services online, seeing what some of the biggest industry leaders are using and saying, you know, does that apply to me or is that the next five years of what I'll be doing? Right. And I believe that this is a really important part of what a developer should be asking themselves. Cause as somebody who hires people these days, when I look at resumes and I see people who have just a slew of technologies, to me, that tells me that they're jack of all trades, master of none, which is not what I want, which means that most of those people it, well, the likelihood of those people being able to deliver is far lower than somebody who, who can say with confidence, you know, this is what I work with. These are the tools I'm really good at using, but I, no, I don't work with those things, but I can accomplish that same thing with this tool is super important for higher ability. Well, I mean, the jack of all trades, master of none analogy, like there's some guy that's like really good with like a feather pen, you know, and at that one point world was his oyster. But there were there were some people that were uh, diversifying their skill set, and they could continue getting closer to being a master with like a wheelhouse of of different scenarios. And I think that's kind of where we're at right now with technology. You know, if you're uh, using WordPress, you're eventually going to come into contact with JavaScript. A lot of people start using WordPress prior to knowing any PHP, and lo and behold, they have to understand PHP and start learning that. And, and I think that that's the important thing is like, uh, like looking at all the different tools and whatnot, you know, saying like three years from now is, is this going to be viable or is it a flash in the pan? Now you've been working with WordPress for a, a long time. What do you think people who are building online businesses using WordPress need to know in 2019? Well, I mean, the, the big 2019 thing is, is WordPress 5.0 and, and Gutenberg, of course. I think those are two important things to embrace, uh, you know, and also kind of looking into to where it comes from, you know, like look up a few of like the talks as far as, you know, what it is and, and why such a, a gigantic shift in WordPress has come up because it's going to open the door to a lot of different opportunities. And I think that's uh, just kind of like the life that's in WordPress, this machine that's evolving and everyone's just kind of like riding on top of it. Uh, this is a, a good year for that. There's a, a lot changing and in 2019, I think um, using strong and like quality tools on it make new features and, and new additions to something as big as WordPress, uh, not only more powerful, but uh, less stressful. 
you know, member mouse, of course, you know, the reason why I, I use your software is it was mentioned that it had the, the least hiccups to it through some people that I, I really trust that handle a, a lot of support. So they maintain a, a lot of different websites that use a, a lot of different uh, membership modules. And they said that yours was was definitely worth checking out. So just the, the quality of the build is why I use it. Because all of the little things that aren't supported well and just all the little knick-knacky things that, that no one's really putting any uh, love into, those things will fall wayside. So yeah, you know, quality stuff in 2019. It's my f- professional term, stuff. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, uh, yeah, quality support and in keeping keeping up on on the way it's going to be moving forward. Now, one of your areas of expertise um, is helping your clients rank well in Google. And is this something that you feel is an essential skill for all web developers to understand? I think SEO is super important. I think that's the uh, roads that lead your potential customers to you. Uh, like all of the sites on the internet basically satellite Google and Google decides who, who gets seen, you know, unless you want to use something like a, like a social network for marketing or uh, get most of your work through like a, a Pinterest or whatever. And it also like doing SEO well, make sure that people that, that aren't supposed to end up on your website don't too. Uh, you don't want to bring a whole bunch of the wrong people because it just doesn't do anything. Yeah, I think SEO is super important for web development. I'm, I'm almost surprised that it's its own industry. You are surprised? I said almost, but I, yeah, I mean, it's, there's so much search engine optimization that's a part of the build and it's a part of like the content and the decisions that you make. Yeah, I mean, you know, you're uh, helping me currently on um, a new website build and we reviewed it and I was surprised myself about how many areas there are. But after hearing them, I'm like, wow, it's it's amazing that these things weren't considered because it the whole goal of the website is a marketing channel, you know, is to get people, the right people in front of the product or the service. And by the things that we covered, we were, it was basically just hobbling the effort. So for that perspective, it's essential to um, support the investment that's being made in these online resources. But it also seems to be somewhat of a black box or like black magic. I mean, it's just like SEO, like it's, it's its own domain. Like how do you even enter into it? Yeah. You know, for a, a really long time, I, like I, I'll run an elliptical for, for four miles and, and watch a tutorial on SEO, you know, and just like, just kind of brief over it listen to it like double time and just see if there's anything that I can catch. But nowadays I'd say it's more so just like trying to think like a, a robot, like, like, ro- like, what does a robot do when it goes to a website? You know, it, um, it's not witty or like funny. And then also like how often is something used? Like a really weird example about like super simple SEO that I don't really hear people talk about too much is you've got all these people using royalty-free stock photography, right? So someone downloads a picture of a flower from like iStock, the robots notice the point of origin of that image. So that piece of your website isn't something new for Google. The Google, it doesn't care about the 10,000 times that image was used because that would just populate the whole website full of that like same picture of a flower. It notices the pixels. It says this existed here and I found it years ago and I can forget about the tens of thousands of others that people have downloaded. But if you flip the image horizontally so that the petals that were on the right are now on the left to a robot, that's a completely brand new image. That's interesting. You know, and all of a sudden you've got like 
basically original content, you know, desaturate a little bit, flip it horizontally, new image. And, uh, and nowadays you can even verify that through Google. You can like uh, slightly modify your image, drag it into Google, see if it comes up as a new one. And uh, you're slightly stronger than you were before. Right. And something you talked to me about when we were reviewing the website is naming the images in a certain way uh, with keywords. Oh, definitely. Yeah. I think, uh, and now, like you said, it's kind of black box rules. I mean, there's some things that Google has said actually pertain, um, but, but everyone is, is basically trying to assume what Google's doing, you know? And I think like, like first off, stay as ethical as you can, you know, try to, like, I bet Google wants to be as ethical as they possibly can with giving everybody their equal shot of uh, being something. So starting there's a good spot because that's where they're starting. So don't try to do anything black hat. It's just a waste of time. Um, but then from there, like video images and text, every single image has a file name. And, uh, and that's a, an area where you can actually use pretty relevant search terms for your website that from what I've seen really seem to, to make a big difference. So, so speaking of which, protrailedblazer.com is a site where you go over these tips and tricks for people in, in SEO and other areas. Correct. Yeah. Uh, Pro Trailblazer is the next version of what I do distributed to more people. So, you know, through, you know, learning management software and whatnot, I'm going to put together a, a fair amount of, of the, the methods that I use for others moving forward because I, I have the same conversations with a lot of people. It's not a canned speech or anything. It's just the best way I know how to do something. So I might as well can and shelve it, <laughs> like have it available. I feel like that's extremely valuable. And you always mention, look, there's always 20 to 30 ways that this can be done, right? And it's always true. You know, We know that your way of particularly doing things isn't the only way of doing it. But the fact is the 20 year plus career you've had with 3,200 creative in your development business with all the customers you've worked with from solopreneurs to Fortune 500 companies, you found ways to make things work. You have relevant experience. And yes, while there are many ways to do things, the ways that you've come to do them have worked for you. And therefore, it's likely that it'll work for at least one other person, right? So the fact that you're going to be sharing that stuff is is great. And it's going to be a, an amazing resource for people. Uh, yeah, I, I appreciate that. And you know, like I said earlier, it's it's either information that you can look at and say, well, I'm way ahead of him and just feel better about yourself. Or it's a, a moment to, to get a little further ahead from where you're at. It's one or the other, but I think each, each bit of uh, information that you consume uh, is beneficial to you. Now, talking about your, let's say, lifespan of 3,200 creative, there's the beginning phase, which is getting the ball rolling. There's a middle phase and then there's the the current phase. Now, for others who are also trying to build a development business, and maybe they're in the phase of just trying to find work, what did you find that was the thing or things that helped be the turning point between when you were just hustling, trying to find work, and when you kind of hit a stride? We initially got started uh, using, for example, like Search Tempest. This was pre like, all the different Elan sites, but we would search every, I'd probably search three or four hours a day for people looking for someone that uh, could do what I knew, you know, and three hours of my day was unpaid looking for work time, you know, and just responding to emails and just uh, hitting the, the virtual pavement like every morning. 
Um, and at the end of the week, I had a, a dollar amount that I was trying to hit. And now it's pretty much the same way, but not not as far as like reaching out to people and actually looking for the work. Right. Because you did it consistently for enough time and delivered, which is very important because there's a lot of people on Elance who don't deliver. Yeah. The the paper trail of success, I think, is is really important when you get started too. Like not every single person you work with is going to gonna sync up with, with your method. Uh, however, the majority of them absolutely should. And when you are successful, you know, uh, make sure to ask for credit, you know, like a testimonial or something, you know, and those types of scenarios will, will come in really handy when a, a like-minded person reaches out to you with a, a similar need. Uh, there's a lot of trust in having accomplished something in the past. So basically, uh, in the beginning, spending a significant amount of time seeking out work, having goals in terms of how much work you want to get in specific periods of time, making sure you deliver on that work. Is there any other things that you were doing in the beginning that you feel were extremely valuable to get you to the next level? Yeah, probably one of the the differences that I, I did right away was you know, I'd get $1,000 to do something and I'd put $2,000 of my time into it. When I was getting going, you know, I'd put above and beyond what was expected of me into it. Uh, and then, you know, next time around, if that project ever came up, I'd have an idea of what I would need in a monetary sense to do it again. So taking that, that extra initiative to make sure that I had good examples of my work. Which is extremely important. You know, if it's something that you've done that you're proud of and you can share to win you new business, then that one project could end up, you know, in a sense, being a foundation for making you a lot more. Every single week up until now, that story still happens where something comes up and it's just something that I know I need to do a little bit extra on. And it, it's just, it's worth it to me because it does more to verify the quality product. Now, with people who are trying to do what you were doing back then, do you see common mistakes that they're making? The initial web development that I'm familiar with is, you know, you start with a blank document and you build out the website from, from nothing. And nowadays there's a lot of, of add-ons, you know, themes, plugins, scripts, uh, frameworks, you know, just, uh, you know, you can just use Yarn and just like plug in a ton of stuff <laughs> into a website, you know, and just have like tens of thousands of files that you're, you're using. And it, it allows us to create a much bigger end product without going through all of the little micro building blocks of the entire final project. However, I could never imagine just building a site built on like basic bootstrap, you know, like just like putting bootstrap in and saying, what bootstrap gave me is what I'll use for the entirety of this project. And I'm going to plug this theme in and the exact same way that this theme looks is how the entire build of the site's going to be. I've never really been a, an advocate of that because, I mean, if you're building like a yoga website with a yoga theme and you're following all the other yoga folk with the exact same thing, how's anyone going to get ahead? You know, they're all showing up to the race with like the exact same car. That's something that I find kind of strange these days is, is the amount that people lean on on the pre-built. The people who lean on the pre-built basically have a glass ceiling in terms of how much they can make on a project by project basis, because there's only a certain client that's going to go in and have a, their expectations set to have something like that delivered. You know, you're talking like mom and pop stuff. Sure. You know, if you're going to get business like somebody like Member Mouse or other other clients, you need to understand performance, right? You need to understand like when you put a site together, how how many visitors are coming to that? 
what is the uh, SEO compatibility of what's been delivered? You know, there's just a finer level of detail that needs to be understood. Yeah, and, and also, I mean, it doesn't really matter what you know, twenty thousand, thirty thousand dollar website or a two thousand dollar website. Putting the budget into an area that makes that project stand out in a unique way, for example, like SEO or um, optimization, and and finding out, you know, how can I make this work a little bit better. And, and maybe, as a designer, it hurts me to say it, but maybe take a little bit out of the aesthetics of it. No matter how nice it looks, if no one's showing up and uh, making the, the project a monetary success, like it, it doesn't really matter. Right. And it also won't matter what it looks like if it is a monetary success. Yeah. So I would say putting budget into to actually doing informational design is something that I don't see a lot, even at a an advanced level, like people actually doing flow charts and, and wireframes and like mobile first rather than mobile responsive. And you think that that's important? Oh, I'd say it's, you shouldn't open up Photoshop until you've actually like drawn a flow chart, you know, or you shouldn't look at like themes until you actually have like a, an informational understanding of, of what the project's supposed to do. And do you review that with the client as well and, and iterate over that? Yeah, I usually do it initially over the phone, very similar to this conversation. The very first part is, is talking shop and, and finding out like, where are you trying to get? <laughs> like, I got to ask for directions. How do you handle pushback? So if, if you're talking with a client, they say, here are my goals. And then they say, this is what I want to have happen. And you know, in your mind that the, the path that they're proposing is not going to reach the goal. How do you handle that situation? Well, constructively, like pushback is is the way that projects can definitely become better. Uh, and usually, and, and also I'm not always right too. Like anytime there's pushback, I'm, I'm thinking like, is this warranted? And, and am I the one that's wrong? You know, I think that's equally important to, to discover. In the real world scenario, someone was using Member Mouse and they wanted to build a membership program that would take on probably four to 10,000 users. And at the end of the project, if it had been successful with the amount of, uh, of offerings that they were going to give their users, they'd require their own office with cubicles and you know phone support people and you know content generators like a little mini Buzzfeed or something. You know, I asked the business owner, "Is this what you see happening when you're making five million a year?" And they said, "Absolutely not. Like I don't I don't want to be in that environment even a little bit." So uh, as uh, as excited as they were about doing something other than the plan that I had they wouldn't have been excited about the end result that it generated. And them realizing what they were sprinting towards kind of restructured the plan and made it something that was uh, like a lot less exciting to talk about preemptively, but a lot uh, easier to work on throughout the duration. And it, it was just simple. It was simple for them to scale. Speaking of support, how do you manage your project life cycles with clients? For one thing, how do you know when the project's done? How did they, How is it... Uh, communicated effectively to the client that the project's done. And if there's more work that there needs to be an additional, you know, that could be a challenge, you know, scope creep, you know, you want them to be happy. So you don't want to push back too much, but at the same time, you need to protect your, your time and, and your investments. There's a, there's probably like 20 or 30 different models for 20 or 30 different people. And, and you get used to that working directly with people, you know, having, having a one-stop solution for everybody is just going to cause some people to not find what they're looking for in your service. So really getting a, a familiarity for when a, a certain style of working with someone is, is pertinent. Uh, you know, some people just want a, a, a developer to do something 
uh, quickly and briefly and to have it done accurately and professionally. And then they, they don't want to have that um, dependent moving forward. Whereas other people will, will have a, a large website built and in taking on that build to that website, one of the conditions is you're taking on a, a dependent as a developer, you know, and when they need things to be uh, modified or upgraded or uh, additional value added in, you know, it's your responsibility to do so because leaving them high and dry with something they don't know how to use. I just find that irresponsible personally. Yeah, for sure. Irresponsible and also unproductive because if you don't do knowledge transfer, then you're setting yourself up for a lot of questions. And also that client doesn't want to ask those questions either. They want to know the answers and and be able to do it themselves if possible. Right. And I mean, but that's just my personal opinion. I mean, there's uh, plenty of really successful developers that, you know, they build the site and they're very upfront that they don't provide ongoing support afterwards. It's a very common scenario where they have a, a beginning and end to the primary build. And that that's about it. That's an important thing about taking on the right work too, is, you know, if you want to, you, uh, you can't take on everybody as a dependent unless you, you want to hire a whole bunch of people. Yeah, for sure. So Ryan, it's been great talking to you and really appreciate you coming on. The two sites that we can share with people for you is 3200creative.com. And this is the site people will go to for your development services, consulting services, SEO, et cetera. And then protrailblazer.com is where people will go to access any courses that you're offering, access any free uh, tips that you're offering on SEO, development, tools, et cetera. Um, and are there any other places that people can go to learn more from you or contact you? No, that'll do. I mean, we uh, we don't participate too much on the social networks and whatnot. It's uh, 3200 Creative or Pro Trail Blazer. Awesome. Well, again, Ryan, appreciate it. Thanks for coming on. Likewise. Thank you. I hope you enjoyed this episode and now have an enhanced perspective on how you can build a successful online business. To learn more about Ryan and see examples of his work, head over to 3200creative.com. And if you'd like more tips and information about topics like web development and SEO, you can also visit his site, protrailblazer.com. For a list of resources and the show notes from today's episode, go to subscriptionentrepreneur.com slash 117. And if you've enjoyed this episode, please subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, Google Play, or Stitcher. Also, be sure to stay tuned for our next episode. It's going to be really special. In it, I talk with David Sherry, the founder of DeathToTheStockPhoto.com. David started this membership business six years ago and successfully grew it to over 500,000 subscribers and $1.5 million in revenue without the use of advertising. We sat down for a candid conversation about creativity, business building, and marketing that actually works. Thanks again for listening. And that's all for this episode of the Subscription Entrepreneur Podcast. See you next time.